I think one of the uh, one of the criticisms of religion in general is that if you hold to a belief very very strongly, that 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 eventually is going to lead to some kind of, of violence. That's the that's the kind of the the new atheism that's in the world, and we also see that there are violent religions in the world, and so there there is a tendency to to feel like, uh, or or as one criticism is that that religion poisons everything. And I think because of that, Christians have uh, the, the theme of the church in conquest has faded into obscurity. Like nobody, nobody sings onward Christian soldiers anymore. Nobody, nobody talks about the, the, the conquering or the church militant or the, 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 the church uh, working or, or, or moving forward. But we recognize that Jesus said, I will build my church and the, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The, the stance of the church is not even primarily defensive. That's sometimes how we can feel. We can feel like, like the world is closing in or the, the world is maybe against the church in, in these times or in lots of different times. Uh, but, the, but the posture of the church is not actually defensive. The posture of the church is offensive. It is to go and to lay siege and to conquer. The difference is that that conquest is not by violence. It's not against flesh and blood. Instead, it is the conquest of truth and love. And so when the church, as it does, as, as God has commanded us, as Christ has commanded us, when we move forward, we are tearing down false ideas. We are tearing down every argument against God and taking captive every thought for obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what I hope you'll see today, is that the, the ministry of the church, as it continues throughout this age, is to continually combat false ideas and continually build people up in the truth for obedience to Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. What I want you to see first is seeking obedience for Christ. Seeking obedience for Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, seeking obedience for Christ. Start in 2 Corinthians 10, we'll start in verse 1. It says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. 
Paul starts chapter 10 by saying, I, I appeal to you. He's, he's appealed to them throughout uh, the, the, the book of 2 Corinthians. He appealed to them to be reconciled to God. He appealed to them to open wide their hearts to receive him. He appealed to them as a father. He was trying to, he was trying to, to speak uh, words of truth to these, this church that he thought of as his children, uh, and he was trying to draw them back to himself, draw them back to God, draw them back to the gospel, draw them back to the truth. And here he is again. He's saying, I appeal to you. And he says, I appeal to you, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Think about how Christ was with people. Matthew quotes Isaiah says, he would not crush the bruised he would not break the bruised reed or, or snuff out the smoldering wick. That is, the, the one who was weak, the one who was humble, the one who was, was burdened, the one who was, was barely making it. Jesus Christ was always caring. He was not harsh. He was not, he was not crushing. He was not, Jesus, Christ, Jesus Christ has all authority. He has all power. He is king over all. He reigns over all things. All things came... into being through him and all things are for him and he rules over all things but he does not crush the weak he does not crush the humble jesus christ with those who were who were burdened by sin with those who were weak with those who were ostracized those who were who were in some sense on the on the outside on the outskirts those those who were who were just looking for mercy and looking for grace Jesus Christ was always gentle toward them. He was always meek toward them. He was not, he was not domineering. He was not, he was not, think of, think of what the violence in the world does. The, the, the violent in the world seek to crush the weak, to control the weak, to gain power. Jesus Christ gave up his glory in order to take on the form of a servant and to die in our place. Even when we think about the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, understand that if it were not for the meekness and gentleness of Christ, we would have no hope. If it were only Jesus' bare power against our pure corruption and evil, if it was only him against our sins, without his grace, without his goodness, without his gentleness, without his meekness, we would be lost. We would be destroyed. We would be consumed. But because of the meekness and gentleness of Christ, we can know God. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. He went to the cross for us. He suffered for us so that he might show us grace. So that he might treat us kindly. So that he might be gentle with us. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before Christ. Receive his grace. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you who are burdened, all of you, the, those who are the, the two blind men sitting on the, by the road going through Jericho. They said, have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us. The, 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 the tax collector who was there in the temple, have, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you'll cry out to God for mercy, if you'll trust in the gentleness and the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ, not putting forward your own righteousness, not putting forward your own goodness, not relying upon how good you are, not hoping that you would in any way work for forgiveness, but instead just trusting, just just trust in the compassion, in the meekness, in the gentleness of Jesus Christ.
And this, this gentleness and meekness of Christ, that is the pattern for our Christian authority. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about he, this, this, these chapters, chapters 10 through 13. This is, this is where he is bringing out, to a very large degree, his authority. He's going to come and make a visit to the Corinthians again, and he has the authority of an apostle, one who has seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead, and one whom Jesus Christ has sent out to particularly to spread the gospel to all nations. He has the authority to tell people what to do. But his authority is not a domineering. It is not a conquering. It is not a crushing authority. It is a nurturing fatherly authority. It is a meek and gentle authority. And he says, this is, this is the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. This is what Jesus Christ showed to all of us. It's what Jesus Christ showed to Paul. A man who was persecuting the church, and yet Christ came to him and, and saved him. It's what all Christian, those in Christian, any kind of Christian in authority ought to be displaying for pastors. You know, Peter says to, to pastors in 1 Peter 5, he says, uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, but not domineering over them. To husbands, he says that, that wives ought to respect their husbands, but he says that husbands ought to be ready to lay down their lives for their wives. They ought to live with them in an understanding way. Parents ought to be teaching and disciplining their children, and yet they ought not do it in such a way that they would provoke their children to anger or discourage their children. There is always, Christian authority is always real authority. Authority is a gift from God. It is a part of God's design. There is no way for there to be society, that is, for there to be social order of any kind without authority, and yet the authority that the Scriptures teach is always the authority that is meek and gentle, servant-minded, ready to lay down your life for the other person, ready to serve them. That's the way we ought to have this authority, and that's the way Paul is approaching the church in Corinth. But he talks about, I, I am appealing to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, but then he breaks in on himself. says, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. You know, what he's, he's coming against these, these false teachers. Chapter 10 starts his his really focusing in on these false teachers, false teachers, those that he later calls super apostles. As in, oh, they're so super. They're, they're, they're super apostles. These are, these are, the, these are, the, these are the, the super spiritual, super, super authority. The, the one, these, are the, these are the ones who are the, the real deal. And they, they're talking about Paul. This is what they say about Paul. They say Paul is, Paul is humble when face to face. And recognize that humble is not a co- compliment in the ancient world. If, if we understand any kind of humility today to be a, that to be a virtue, to be that, that to be something that is good, that is the product of a, a, the influence of Christianity on our culture or on our society or on our thoughts. In the ancient world, humility was not a compliment. That was not a positive. It was thought of as someone who was lowly, someone who was cringing, someone who was even, even the way that Paul is being talked about here, the way they're th- talking about Paul is that he was cowardly. You know, he, he was, he was what, what, what happened was Paul made a visit to the church at Corinth. And there was a big major conflict, and rather than push the conflict higher and higher, Paul receded. There was some, in some way, we don't know the details, but in some way, there was this open conflict with those who were opposing the apostle Paul. Now, 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 2 through 7 basically recounts Paul's manner of ministry coming up to chapter 7 where he says, hey, we, 
you responded. You responded by repenting. And he said that, hey, when he's, when he's in front of people, though, he's a coward. He backs off. He backs away from conflict. And then what he does is when he goes away, then he writes this really nasty letter back. He's bold in writing these letters. So he writes this severe letter that we don't have anymore, but it, but it calls second, the, the, the church in Corinth to repentance. We'll look at, we'll look at what Paul's like. Don't listen to Paul. That's what the super apostles are saying. Don't listen to Paul. Don't live by what Paul says. We, listen to us. Listen to us. We, we know what we're talking about. He says, I beg of you. Now, Paul, Paul talks about I'm, I'm going to I'm going to appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. But then he says, I beg of you that when I am present, because Paul's talking about, hey, he's gonna make a he's gonna make another visit. It's like uh, it's like when I'm when I'm we we have a two story house and and sometimes sometimes late at night you don't want to make the trek up the stairs. Just be like, don't make me come up there. You know that that's that's he, he's talked about coming. He's talked about coming before, but now now he is talking about don't when I come. Don't make me, don't make me come and discipline you. Don't make me come with the kind of boldness that I'm going to come against those who are opposing me. On those that I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Now this is, this is another one of those things that I think we can, we're, we can kind, of, kind of figure out that they're saying about Paul. Paul, Paul walks according to the flesh. One of the ideas, we'll see, it, we'll see it stated in a couple of different ways, but these super apostles were super spiritual. They had real spiritual power. And they looked at Paul. Paul, Paul they said, Paul, he doesn't, really have, he doesn't really have spiritual power. He's not a powerful man. I mean, when, when you come and you see Paul and Paul comes and visits, he's not powerful. That's not power. You want spiritual power. If you have the spirit of the almighty God on you, that looks like power. And Paul does not look like power. So he says, he says, they say about him, he walks according to the flesh. But Paul says, he, he takes their words and he, he, he turns it around on them. He says, verse 3, he says, we walk in the flesh. And there Paul is talking about it in a different way. He's talking about what he talked about in chapters 4 and chapters 5. You know, we, Paul had spiritual treasure in jars of clay. He had a, he had a body that had suffered for God. He had a body that was wearing away. He had a body that was on its way out. He had a body that was going to eventually fade away and, and pass away. He says, well, yeah, we're, I, I know my own weakness. I know my frailty. I know that, that I have in my body marks that belong to me because I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle of Jesus Christ means suffering so I could get the gospel to you. And he says, we walk in the flesh, we walk in, in frailty, we walk in weakness. But we are not waging war according to the flesh. Paul's talking about battle. He's talking about combat. He's talking about waging war. And, and he starts to use this siege language. So sieges in the ancient world were brutal affairs, typically. Especially if they went very long. You're talking about people starving, you're talking about people being killed, you're talking about brutality. And usually there were, there were three stages. You would come and you would tear down the defenses. You've got these walls and you've got these fortresses and you've got these lookout towers and these ramparts. And, and, and you come and you tear all that down. And then you come in, you capture all those who are in rebellion against you. And then you punish the people who were standing against you. Well, Paul's talking about, I'm going to come to the church in Corinth, and I'm going to lay siege to the church in Corinth. But he says, this is what it's going to look like, verse 5. 
We have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's that, that's that power to pull down those who, are, those who are opposed to God, those who are trying to shut God out. He says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. This is what the kind of siege that he's talking about. He's not talking about physical violence. He's saying, I'm going to come in and, and all of the false ideas, all of the, all of the arguments that you've heard, you've heard people, you, you've been hearing these super apostles and you've been being influenced by them. You've been hearing them talk about how I'm weak in the flesh and, and how I, I'm weak in front of you and I have no power and about, about how, how I'm not really a spiritual person and I'm not really, uh, you, you don't really need to listen to me. The, the, way, that you, the way that you get ahead, you, you're starting to think the way that, that they think. Well, I'm going to come, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to take all their ideas and I'm going to tear them down to the ground. All their arguments, every lofty opinion. So he's talking about things that are built up, things that are built up high. Think of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was a tower of pride and God came down to their tower and ripped it all the way to the ground. Well, here is, here is Paul. He says they have a lofty opinion of themselves. Isaiah often talks about those who are who are high and lifted up. God takes them low, and he said, "That's what Paul's saying. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you down." Those those who are raising up opinions and arguments that are in opposition to the true knowledge of God, I'm gonna bring it all down. I'm gonna raise it. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it down to the ground. I'm gonna destroy all their fortifications, all their strongholds, everything that they're resting in, everything that they're hoping in, all these false ideas, this false doctrine, this false teaching. I'm going to tear it down. And then he says, I'm going to take captive every thought. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. So he's going to tear down all of the false ideas. And he is going to, this is, this is a way of, this is siege language. This is combative language. But it's the same way that we might talk about renewing the mind. He's going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you new thoughts. I'm going to teach you the right way to think. He's going to tear down the false teachers. And he's going to begin to teach sound doctrine. I hope you see that, that this, is, this is the pattern for ministry uh, that, that, new, that, that teachers and preachers ought to be using. We're not, we're not, we don't have the same office as Paul, but this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be tearing down false ideas and building up the right ideas. This is, how, this is how people mature. This is how people grow. To have the wrong ideas taken away. To have the right ideas built up. So that everything is working. This is, this is how obedience for Christ happens. is through sound doctrine. Now then sometimes people would say, hey, we want, we want relevant and applicable teaching. Now if by that you mean that every time we ought to be changing the way that we think and changing how we live, well, that's absolutely true. But if when you say we want applicable teaching, you mean that we skip all of the, the, the heavy doctrine and the weighty doctrine and the, the thinking and the, the thinking in new ways. And, and we just skip all that. And we bypass all that so we can get to what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. Well, that's not the way to do it. That, that's not the way the Bible does it. That's not the way Paul does it. Instead, Paul teaches us to think differently. The scriptures teach us to think differently. Teach us the truth. It is the knowledge of God. It is our thoughts. God works on our wills and our desires and on our inner being through our thought life. That's why our, our times together are often so heavy on instruction. 
We don't have we don't we don't come together on a Sunday where we don't have a sermon. And, and we're okay with with words like preach and sermon. Because we need our minds to be changed. Because that's the way that God changes us. Well, he says that, that, that you can see in, in verse 6. Verse 6 is the final, is the big threat against, uh, against the false teachers. But, but look at the end of verse 6. It says, when your obedience is complete. You know, Paul is, Paul is coming there. He is, he is wanting to build up their obedience. They have been being disobedient. He is going to rebuild their obedience. He's going to take away their false ideas. He's going to give them the right ideas. He's going to take every thought captive for obedience to Jesus Christ. But then the final stage of the siege was that you punish the evildoers. And he's threatening, he's saying, hey, I'm going to come and against those who oppose me, against the false apostles, against the false teachers, there's going to be discipline. There's going to be punishment. Now, some, some places in the New Testament are that the power of an apostle could be scary. That, say, for instance, in, in Acts 5, when, when Ananias and Sapphira, when they lie to Peter about so-and-so, how much they paid, and, and in reality they were paid more than what they gave, well, they were struck down dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so the, the apostle had that sometimes that kind of thing happened with the apostles. But I think we recognize just as a, as a pattern that the, the, church has the, the, the church has the authority of Jesus Christ behind it, behind her, to root out false teaching and to discipline false teaching. When Matthew 18 talks about, talks about church discipline, it talks about having Christ right there, Christ, Christ giving his imprimatur of approval to what the church decides, that when the church acts against those who continue in brash unrepentance, the way that these evildoers are, the way that these false teachers are, well, Christ is standing with the church when it rules out false teaching. Also think about, you know, this is this combative language. Who was Jesus most severe toward? He was not, he was not severe toward the tax collectors or the prostitutes, those who were burdened by their sin and who were coming and, and humbly humbling themselves before the Lord. He was not harsh. He was not, he was not crushing. He was most severe toward those who were proud and those who were false teachers, like the Pharisees, like the religious leaders who stood against uh, the teaching of Jesus Christ. I think we have to recognize that God, God intends to punish false teaching. When God talks about when God talks about condemnation, when the scriptures talk about condemnation for those who reject Jesus Christ, it is much more severe. The threatening language is much more severe for those who teach falsely, for false teachers. And so with that in mind, do, we do not want to, I do not mean physical violence, but we should not be tolerating false teaching in the church. We should not be reading false teachers to see what we can pull out. False teaching is something to stay way, 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 from, way away from. Sometimes maybe you guys have been, have been uh, you know, standing, against, standing next to somebody, and I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but, you know, I'm going to get away from you. They, they kind of said something wrong. You say, I'm going to get away from you because, you know, my lightning might strike or something like that. Well, in, in reality, 
false teachers are that way. You, you need to get away from false teaching. When you think about what Paul is in, in these chapters, what, what is he about? Initially, it is get away from false teachers. Get away from false teachers. Well, he goes on there from verse 7. You know, they've been, they've been saying that he is not, he does not have any spiritual power. But he says to the Corinthians in verse 7, look at what is before your eyes. Like, like Paul brought the gospel to Corinth. Uh, when Paul came into Corinth, there was no church. And when Paul left Corinth 18 months later, there was a church. So Paul's saying, like, like look around you. You say I don't have any spiritual power. You would not exist as a church unless God had worked through me to begin this church. And he says, you know, if, if anyone is confident that he is Christ, I think he's talking about there the, the, the super apostles would in some way say, hey, we're, we, are, we really belong to Christ. We are really, uh, he's not just talking about being a Christian as far as belonging to Christ. He's talking about what the false apostles would say. The false teachers would say, hey, we really belong to Christ. Paul, he doesn't really belong to Christ. He doesn't have spiritual power. He's not, he's not really of Christ. But Paul says, hey, look, look around you. The church exists because of what God did through me. He commissioned me to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ to come here and start this church. I, if anybody else is of Christ, certainly you as the church that I started have to recognize that I have, am of Christ. And you can see in verse 8, I mean, Paul, Paul here, he has to talk about his authority more than he would really like to. I think that's the sense. If I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. So even though he's been using siege language, he's saying, listen, he's, he's not trying to tear the church down. He's going to tear the false teachers down, but he's going to build the church up. I don't like to talk about, he's, he's basically saying, I don't like to talk about my authority this way. I don't like to talk about being an apostle. I don't like to talk about, about, about what God gave me. I don't like to talk about myself. He's got to talk about himself a lot. How do, you, how do you defend yourself without being defensive? That's how Paul's trying to work. He says, I, I don't like to talk about myself, but I'm not ashamed of what God gave me to do. I have a job. I'm, I'm doing my assignment. He, he says, look, look at verse 9. I think, I think, again, this is one of the things that they were saying. Saying, hey, hey, when he writes these really bold letters, he's trying to frighten you. He's trying to scare you. He says his letters are, his letters are weighty and strong. That is, when he gets his letters, they, they're, all, they're all bold, and they've got all this, all this reasoning behind it. They, got all, they, they sound really good, and they sound really strong. But in, in, in reality, when he gets in front of you, his bodily presence is weak. His speech is of, of no account. He doesn't sound good. He doesn't look good. Man, what are you going to do when you don't have a good-looking apostle? One that sounds good. I mean, this is, this, is not the kind of guy, this is not the guy you would want to put on network television to represent the church. I mean, this is the Paul, Paul's not the guy. This is not the guy you want representing, representing the church in Corinth. This, is, this guy, is, he's not much. But Paul says, let such a person understand that when we say, what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Hey, I'm coming to your church again. I'm coming to Corinth again. And I'm going to deal with the false teachers. I'm going to deal with the false, uh, with those who teach falsely. I'm, I'm going to deal with them. And so, so you get ready. Like, like if you want to go ahead and get out of Dodge, 
Now's the time. The fierceness of Paul's opposition to false teaching. I don't know that we reflect that always. The gentleness and the meekness of Jesus Christ does not mean meekness and gentleness toward false teaching. It means fierce opposition to falsehood. Fierce opposition to falsehood. Well, next he says, he's not only seeking obedience for Christ, he's also seeking influence for Christ. Pick up in verse 12. It says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. This is verse 13. He says, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Well, you look at verse 12, he's kind of taking a verbal jab at these false apostles. He says, you know, that the false apostles will say something like, Paul's not even in our, own, in our league. And Paul says, no, I am not in your league. I am in the league of true apostles. You are in the class of false teachers. No, we are not in the same league. We do not have the same taxonomy. We do not have the same classification. You, we don't belong together at all. No, that, that, I, I think you're right. We're not in the same league. And goes on from there, he says, when, we, when, they, when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They're just looking, they're just comparing one another. They, they think, hey, we have spiritual power because we look at one another and we just think, hey, we're, we're, we're kind of we do look good. We do have ballet presence. We do have, we do have good speech. People like it when we talk. People like the way we look. And so they compare themselves to one another. We, we, do have, we do have a face for TV. And he says, Paul says, you don't, have, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what spiritual power is. You don't know what it is to, to really do what, what God says. The overall idea of Paul is that there is power in weakness. God's power is displayed in weakness. He says, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, they are thinking that the very same things that gets people ahead in Corinthian society is, are the things that get people ahead in the Corinthian church. People, people who look good and people who sound good out in the world, well, that's, that's what qualifies people for looking good and speaking well in the church. And so we're the ones who ought to be teaching. We're the ones who ought to be prominent. We're the ones that people ought to be, ought to be serving, the ones that people ought to be following. Paul says, you don't know what you're talking about. That is a that is false idea. That is the ideas of the world coming in and making their way into the church. And he says, verse 13, and I'm not going to boast beyond limits. Only boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, which reaches all the way to Corinth. God, God gave Paul an assignment to preach the gospel to all nations, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, the gospel came through me all the way to you. We don't boast beyond limits in the labor of others. Think about what the false teachers were doing. False teaching 
here in Corinth, as it so often is, is basically parasitic. Paul comes into, Paul goes into places, and he starts churches, and he builds up churches, and then he goes to the next place to start another church, and the false teachers come in behind him, and they poach on his territory. He's, he's, he's started something, he's planted something, he's building something up, and the false teachers come in behind him, and they start tearing it down. I remember a quote of, of one, one pastor, uh, he was just sitting, sitting next to a, another pastor at a conference, he listened to somebody teach, and he just said, well, there goes six months of teaching down the drain, because there was false teaching in front. That's what these false teachers were doing. They were coming, they were coming along, and they were tearing down what Paul was doing. Paul, Paul, was, Paul was one who was ambitious to start churches where nobody had started churches before. That was his work. That was, it's not that, it's not that he thought that people who came after him, he was, he's not dismissing the role of those, Paul was a planter, others came behind him and watered, and God gave the growth, that's the way he would talk about it in 1 Corinthians. So it's not that he was dismissive of, of people who would continue to build what he was doing. He would talk about in 1 Corinthians 3, he talked about those who, who build with good materials that would withstand fire, versus those that, that built with poor materials. Well, it's not that he's, he's, not, he's not dismissing those who come in and build behind. He would actually be encouraging to those who are continuing to teach the same truth that he taught. What he's against is those who tear down what's he, what he's building up. He's saying, don't, the, these guys are saying that you're their territory. Guess what? I, I started this church. I am the apostle to the Corinthians. Don't listen to them. Don't let them come in and tear down what God built. His goal in all this is in verse 16. He wants, to bring, he wants to bring stability. He wants to bring truth. He wants to bring solidity to the church in Corinth. He wants to see, he says in verse 15, he says, well, our, our hope is that as your faith increases, that we, our influence might be enlarged. We want, to, we want to have a stable place in Corinth from which we would launch into other places into lands, into places that don't have the gospel. Now, I think that is something that we need to be working toward, to be a strong and stable church from which people can launch new churches in new lands. And yeah, I think that's some place where we need to work. I think we need to have our own faith increase. I think we need to mature more. Today, we're, we're celebrating our fourth year as a church. I think that God has begun something good here. I love our church. But let's, let's keep moving. Let's keep growing. Let's be a solid and stable church from which people can launch new churches and new lands. We have some maturing to do. So let's, let's keep maturing. Now then... We don't, we, don't have a, we don't have a new plan today for becoming, moving from a started church to a solid and stable church. We're going to keep doing what we do, we're doing, which is basically follow the apostolic pattern. Follow what, what Paul does here. Tear down false ideas, build up good ideas. Tear down false teaching, build up the church. We don't have a new, don't have a new plan, don't have a new vision. We are expecting that the Spirit of God is going to keep working by the Word of God so that in, in sometimes small Small increments, small steps, sometimes in big jumps. 
God is going to grow our church. God is going to mature our church. God is going to increase our faith. When our faith is increased, that will, that will be a staging ground for greater influence. Not, not our greater influence, but influence for Christ as more and more people are launched from our church. That we are a solid and stable church from which people can, can go out and start new churches in new lands among people who've never heard. People who can't hear now. That's our goal. That's what we ought to aspire to. That's what we ought to build to. We've, we, we hopefully have, have seen God start something good. We've seen people come to Christ. We've seen people grow. We've seen people helped. But let's, let's keep maturing. Let's be solid and stable. When he says, uh, the last thing I want you to see is seeking commendation from Christ. He says there in verse 17 and 18, he says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. For the second time in, in First and Second Corinthians, uh, Paul quotes Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. You can go and read that. It's a, it's a verse to remember, a verse to, a verse to memorize. He, but, but he summarizes it, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, these... These super apostles, these false teachers, they boasted in themselves. They talked about their own, the, about their own bodily presence. They, they, could, they, could, they could look good in front of people. They talked about their own eloquence. They could sound good in front of people. They boasted in themselves and in their, in their own super spirituality, in their own spiritual strength, in their own strength. They said, we are strong. Paul is weak. We're strong. Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I'll be weak, because when I'm weak, then the Lord cho- then, then anything that happens through me, the, the Lord shows his strength. If I'm weak, the Lord shows that he's strong. If I, if I have fleshly frailty, if God works through me, it shows his divine power. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For... Or because is not the one who commends himself who is approved. I think the one of the most disturbing things in uh, church culture in the United States is this culture of self-promotion. At some point, it became okay for pastors and preachers to talk about how great they were or to build themselves up. Paul, Paul does not exist for the building up of himself. Oh, I want you when you when we're reading chapters ten through thirteen. I want you to think of it as, hey, Paul really cares about his reputation, and above all, he wants to protect his reputation. Sure, sure, reputation is a is a wonderful thing, but Paul is mainly focused on the work of Christ, the building up of the church. If they don't listen to Paul, they don't have the gospel. That's why he's working. That's why he's trying to get, that's why he's trying to, to win them back to himself. He says at the end, it's not the one, it's not the one who commends himself as approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. On the one hand, Paul can already say, hey, look at what is around you. These false, false teachers, these super apostles, they, they say I don't have spiritual power. You are my letter, is what he says earlier in 2 Corinthians. You are my letter of recommendation. The existence of this church says 
God is working through me. That there is real power. As, as, as weak as I am, God has shown his power through me. And even bigger than that, it's not, it's not what people say. It's not what people say about how you look or how well you speak or if they slander you and say, hey, he's really, he's really cowardly when he's in, in, in front of you, but he writes these bold, nasty letters when he's gone. It's about what the Lord says. If the Lord commends you, then that's all that matters. And Paul, Paul can say, hey, I, I, with a clear conscience, have completed my assignment. I'm doing what God called me to do. I may not match up. I may not match up to the standards of the Corinthians, of Corinthian society, where you need to look good and you need to sound good and, and you need to have bodily presence. I know, I know that I look humble. It's not a compliment. I look humble. I look lowly. I look like a man who's been shipwrecked and hungry and, and beaten and, and I've suffered and been afflicted. I know that that's not what spiritual power looks like to you super apostles and you Corinthians who've been influenced by these false teachers. I know that's not what power looks like to you. But God commends what I do. When I tear down falsehood and preach the truth, God, I with a clear conscience, know that God is going to commend me. It's not you false teachers. It's not what you say. It's not that you, you compare yourselves to one another. And you say, hey, we don't, don't we look good? It's what, it's what the Lord says. And I think we can expand that out. None of us are, are in the, in the precise, posi- precise position that, that Paul was in. None of us are apostles. None of us, none of us have seen the resurrected Lord. But we all have assignments that are from God. He could do his assignment with a clear conscience. He could say, I'm confident that the Lord is going to commend me because I'm doing what the Lord tells me to do. We all ought to be able to do that, to have a clear conscience, that we we are doing our best by the power of God, by the grace of God, to be good fathers, good mothers, good husbands, good wives, good workers, good bosses, good pastors, good church members, that we are, we have committed ourselves, devoted ourselves to the Lord. We, we want to love one another deeply. We are committed to sound doctrine. We are committed to serving the church, serving by the, by the strength that God provides. We're committed to putting off those things that, that characterize the old man, putting off falsehood, instead putting on what is virtue and compassion and kindness putting on servanthood and forgiveness as as God has forgiven us so we forgive one another as God first loved us so we love one another as Christ first served us so we're serving one another let us do our assignment so that we might receive a commendation not from the world not from people but from the father from God from the Lord Jesus Christ as a church let's not think of ourselves the way that the world measures success Let's measure ourselves by how well are we holding to these scriptures? How well are we holding to the word of God? How well, how, 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 how good is our thinking where we are believing what God has taught us to believe? How, how is our obeying? We are, we are believing right so that we will also obey Christ. Let us seek the combination commendation of the lord let's let's seek the approval of the lord that in christ he would say about us 
hey, these, these have loved because I love them. I've loved them. Now they have loved me by obeying my commands. Let me pray for you. Father, uh, we praise you uh, that you are the God of truth. That you abhor all falsehood, that you hate all that is uh, lying and sinful and that, that seeks to destroy. God, thank you for protecting us from lying and from falsehood and from all that is wrong. Please uh, protect us from uh, the devil. Protect us from the evil one. Keep us from all evil so that we would not be dragged down or pulled down by the lies of Satan. Instead, help us to be strong in the truth. Help us to be armed both left and right with, uh, with, with righteousness, with, uh, with uh, the weapons of righteousness, with those things that are true and right. Please, God, in our own lives, please tear down all those false ideas that we still hold on to. Keep our hearts from being inclined toward evil. Change our thoughts, renew our minds, so that we might be obedient to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.